Chris Biddle, your host for Inside AgriTurf podcast, and now of our new show called the AgriTurf Academy. The premise for this podcast is to focus on people, on business skills and personal development for those involved in the sales and support of farm, sports ground and garden machinery, although these episodes could well apply to virtually any business. Now, in the first episode of the Academy series, Sinjin Craner talked about the art of the sales conversation. He advised to stop selling and start serving, to listen and listen carefully to customers and to be an advisor rather than a salesperson, helping the customers make the right buying decision. In part two of Sinjin's podcast, we will talk about the language we should be using when you've listened carefully to the customer's needs. So, having used your charm, charisma, and expertise to gain a satisfied customer, it never really ends there, does it? Customers come in all shapes and sizes, attitudes and temperaments. They can flip a moment's notice to being rude or even aggressive. And maybe you've got things wrong, or they think you've got things wrong. How do you sort them out? No, I better rephrase that. How do you calm the situation? I'm therefore delighted to be joined by Dan Pratt, the founder of the DAP Consultancy, who has spent much of his career working in customer experience management for both small and big-name companies, such as Virgin Pure, ID Mobile, and the Casual Dining Group, gaining significant financial and practical results for these companies. So, so Dan, welcome. I think it was Gordon Selfridge, he of the landmark London department store, who coined the title for this episode. The customer is always right. Are they? Yes, yeah, so uh, so that's the interesting thing. So, so yeah, I think it was Mr. Selfridge, I think, uh, coined the phrase, the customer is always right. And, and the business needs to look at it in that mentality to a degree because uh, there's many things around that aspect that, that has to be relatable. So, for example, uh, the business has to adapt to the customer's wants, needs, and expectations and also understand their fears uh, their stresses and and kind of work around that. <clears throat> so uh, that, that's that's true to a degree. However, the customer is always right until they're not, and and there can be discrepancies around that. Um, whether whether it be uh, negative trust pilot reviews or TripAdvisor reviews, which are faulty inaccurate. Um, whether it's somebody that's not been explained a process correctly, they've taken the wrong end of the stick, or or whatever it may be. And so there's responsibility on both parts in order to to uh, accomplish the ultimate goal of, of basically customer purchasing something under the expectations and the business providing something under those same expectations. And that's where the sweet spot matters. So, um, yeah, the customer is always right to a degree, uh, but the business needs to behave that the customer is always right, but at the same time, not give in to everything and, and lay down basically and accept everything because the business needs to have integrity and pride in its product, in its operations, in its fulfillment as well. And, and yeah, as sad, sad to, as it is to say, yeah, the customer isn't always right. Um, we like to believe they are. <laughs> and do you find from your experience that the customers often do quote those sort of uh, uh, phrases, the customer's always right, or I know my rights? Yeah, that's, that's exactly one, one key thing. So I've, I've worked in many different industries, ranging from fintech to hospitality to software systems and car hire, consumer goods, telecommunications. And, uh, and a lot of these, I've got a lot of stories kind of from my hospitality industry. A customer would call up and say, uh, you've given me food poisoning. I ate something last night and I've got food poisoning. I'm extremely unhappy about this. I expect compensation. 
Um, and then when we went into looking into the science of this and, and actually the tests about what was eaten 24 hours prior, what was eaten last night, the, the very simple thing is that bacteria takes at least 12 to 24 hours to start forming in, in your body. Uh, your body's a very powerful thing. In order for it to have the bacteria in there, battle it and then push it out, it's, it takes time. So necessarily, it's not always something that was eaten three hours before. So if the, the customer's obviously adamant that that was, that was the case, because that may be the last thing they ate, but it's a case of educating the customer about the process of saying this is the reasons why it can't be us. Or, or if it is you, then obviously hold your hands up and, and accept the liability. But it's about the information and being transparent and taking the customer along that journey. And whether they're right or wrong, it's about being completely transparent. That's what people nowadays, they um, they don't like talking to a call center miles away. They don't like uh, being fobbed off as a number. They like that personal touch and being treated as an adult. And that's and that's kind of where you need to get along. And once you educate and speak to people in the correct manner, give them all the facts, be honest, then um, there's always a compromise that will be able to come into play. Uh, Dan, if we kind of bring it up to date, uh, we, we two or three years ago, we went through the pandemic. Everything slowed down. Most businesses closed. And there was a sense that it induced a, a sense of calmness and, and consideration amongst the population. Uh, which we haven't seen for some time. However, uh, since then, I don't know what you think, but I, I think things have got more, uh, should I say, focused on on angriness and con- what's the word I want? Uh, our conflict and so yeah. on. Is that what you find? Are you finding within some of your clients that you're talking to that it has yes. got increasingly difficult these days? Yeah, exactly. And I think the, there's the cost of living crisis as uh, the frustrations around many, many different aspects. So the pound that was spent five, 10 years ago it, uh, was more diluted than the pound that's spent now. So the pound has more value to a customer when they're parting with it in a business. So the expectations are much higher. Um, so in order to accomplish this, uh, we need to react to those new wants, needs and expectations post-pandemic. And there's kind of four key areas um, that I would say what a post-pandemic uh, customer experience looks like. And that's Flexibility wins love. Um, so nearly 85% of, of customers do want flexibility. Uh, engagement wins loyalty. Uh, knowledge wins respect. And digital wins customers. Um, and it's about getting the balance right. So customers want something now. And we're in this digital world where things are served up instantly. Some people don't want to send an email or wait on the phone for half an hour or three days to get a response. But the balance has to be right. So for example, if you were booking a flight and you wanted to check the baggage allowance... You'd probably want to go onto a digital platform, an FAQ, knowledge base, a chatbot to be able to provide that information for you. But if you were overcharged, you would very much want to speak to a human being. So it's about having that flexibility to be able to serve the customer right. And again, everybody has uh, jobs, people have family commitment, and people can't always be there to be able to compile, uh, conflict, uh, sorry, uh, compile to the to the company's hours, like nine till five. Our call center is open, for example. So it needs to be flexible and around around the customer's needs and wants and expectations whether it and if you if you have to make a promise and say okay we will be online on chat and we will respond to people within minutes but we can only physically do that as a small business from 10 till 2 every day then in that promise that needs to be absolutely clear and that needs to be maintained um so it's about providing those expectations as well and and customers do have a bigger desire now and and as we know there's there's lots of information around there such as where customers believe they have more rights and there's lots of companies out there that can complain for customers on their behalf 
not always accurate. I've learned to work with some of these companies and uh, yeah, they, it's not accurate at all. And But that's that's the thing. It's about, it's that whole blockbuster moment and the Kodak moment, isn't it? If we don't keep up with the times, keep up with the Joneses, as it were, then then we're not going to be able to keep accommodating. And those customers will simply go to somebody that is keeping up. Indeed. And, and this podcast mainly goes to SMEs, to small businesses who are having to face a situation these days, Dan, where at service levels are, are really tight. I mean, from Amazon, you can order something at 10 o'clock at night and you can get it by midday next morning and uh, retailers like Next and so on. And, and it's very difficult for a small company to match the expectations that customers have of, of that being the base level of standard that they're they're looking for yeah exactly and and the, but there's the thing around that there's kind of four different types of customer and they, and those four types of customer behave very very differently and they need to be adhered to obviously so so there are, um, there's price buyers and these customers want to buy the product and service at the lowest possible cost uh, there's relationship buyers and they depend on long-term heritage long-term like a local farm shop or a local business, small business. Uh, there's value customers. They basically just want the best value for the best cost. So they don't mind if it's a bit more expensive, uh, but when they get the value for it. And then you get the poker player buyers, I call them, which kind of have a bit of everything. They try they try their luck. So some customers, yes, you could buy something from Amazon and get it here this afternoon, but is the quality going to be there? Is the customer service going to be there? So one example then that I have, sometimes it's better to pay a little bit more or have that extra time to receive quality. So um, one example would be American Express. I once lost my credit card while I was in New York and within um, 24 hours, they called up to say, here's a new card for you at this bank in New York. You can collect it. And one of my friends had a, a cheaper brand of credit card and it took two weeks to get another one. So even though I'm paying a premium for Amex versus someone else, uh, I pay for the insurance of when things go wrong. And same as if you fly with a low-cost airline versus British Airways, for example, if something went wrong with a flight, you know you'd be in safer hands. And that's the thing. So with these small businesses, okay, they haven't got the huge warehouses or the distribution, but they've got that internal love. They've got that heritage. They've got the family business. They, they help thrive a community. They look out what's better. They employ people within the community. They might have cousins and sisters that know the owners or know employees there. And that now has evolved into becoming a more of a valuable aspect when people make purchases than simply price and quickness from a big conglomerate company such as Amazon. So for the SMEs that are listening, you need to really, really pry on those benefits that you have and not try and compete with the big competitors, but do what you do better. And there will be things that you do. The product might be better quality. Your customer service might be more personal or friendly and really utilize those aspects that you can and not worry about the things that you can't. And is it easy for a business to spot those different types of customers? Obviously, with price, it is, but uh, because that's quite definitive. Um, and you know where you stand straight away. You normally tell who's looking for a price-led deal, if you like. Um, but is it easy to spot the rest of those customer types, do you think? Yeah, and there's many ways of doing that. So, so you're, you can general conversation with the customers. You can put out surveys. You can read TripAdvisor reviews or Trustpilot reviews. You can, um, and, so, and there's lots of free tools such as Google Sheets or um, Google Forms, sorry, uh, SurveyMonkey, where you can kind of get that information. But just speaking to them, and you'll be able to identify exactly what 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 type of customers you are. So, for example, there's a shop near where I live, 
and they make shoes and they're handmade shoes for my child. He's only three, but they cost about 80 pounds a pair. So very expensive for kids shoes, but you have to wait for them and, and they're not always in stock. And, and I prefer to do that rather than ordering a pair of two pound shoes off Amazon and getting them this afternoon. So it's exactly that. So I'm paying 10 times the price, but the, the whole journey that it goes on uh, for me is much more valuable than than this and and that's the thing is once you know those customers that you have that are those um, relationship customers that are the the value customers that's the ones that people need to look after it's very hard to uh, accumulate customers and it's easier to keep them so so there's there lots of things it could do those value customers send them an email on their birthday to wish them happy birthday give them a call every month to make sure that the service is is fine and there could potentially be upsell opportunities there as well in this case of treating those people like human beings, how um, and keeping the promises. So if you were to meet a friend for a coffee or beer and you were going to be 15, 20 minutes late, you would probably text them or tell them that you're going to be late. You wouldn't just turn up five, 10 minutes late or half an hour late and just carry on business as usual. So if the de- there is an order that's going to be delayed or there's a service that's going to be delayed um, or you know that it's going to take slightly longer than normal, be human and talk to those customers like they would. And that will create that long-term relationship and value to be able to give to those customers that the big companies just cannot physically do. Um, no, no. And uh, obviously, if we go back to where the customer's always right, quite often, and we're, we're talking mainly about, well, with the businesses we go to, two areas probably, capital goods, purchase of capital goods, and or a service, whether that's uh, as physical service or the machines. But in terms of capital goods, uh, quite often, uh, a customer will come through the door having read which, quite adamant that this is a witch best buy uh, and this is what i want and i was certainly talking to a dealer a few months ago and he said i think eight times out of ten they're wrong that mm-hmm. isn't what they want so you've obviously got that job not to sell them what they think they want but what they actually want so that's quite a process sometimes isn't it it is. And uh, one of my clients is a, is a chain of tire garages in the Southwest. And a lot of customers go in there expecting a tire that's going to do all seasons and at a really good price. And, and the car's not necessarily built for that tire or the budget that they want. So they can offer alternatives, cheaper ones, or they can try and upsell something. But they give the, what I've asked them to do is give the options to the customers that they're there um, on the table. Then ultimately, it's, it's the customer's idea. So it's like, okay, well, this is product A. And it does this. It's slightly different to what you expected because of X, Y, Z. Here's product B. It does this. This is the price. It's slightly different to product. Here's the benefits. Here's the negatives. What What are you most suited for? What's your priority that you'd like to get out of this product? And and really kind of talk them through. And, and don't really mention the cost too much because as soon as you start to mention money, uh, the customer instantly feel that they're being tried to be upsold or there's a, they're talking to a salesman rather than an advisor. So put all the options on the table. Then once they've kind of got clarity on the options, then provide the prices and then the customer can make their ultimate decision based on that. In another podcast, uh, a, uh, a friend of mine in New Zealand who's in rural sales actually takes the line that the, the problem with sales is is selling. There is a... There is trust, shall I say, of salesmen per se. Uh, people want, feel they want to be, they're going to be pressured. The art always is to ask more questions than you, uh, than you give statements in a way. Uh, and that's obviously a way forward, Dan, isn't it, for a lot of people? That's exactly it. And it's about, that, it's about, like you said, asking the right questions as well and, and understanding 
what those what those needs, wants, and expectations are. And and the customer, like you said, it's they're not always right. They could they could want something that's not physically possible, uh, or or the they might not be justifiable for that price. So, for example, I've heard this many many times in the restaurant industry. How can you possibly charge me three pound? For a tea bag and some hot water, I can buy an entire box of tea bags for one pound fifty down the shop, and water comes out the tap for free. But it's not the three pound for the tea bag and the and the, and the tap water. It's three pound for the cost of this cup that's going to be used twenty times. The cost of this table, the cost of the electricity, the rent, uh, these people, their pensions, contributions, their holiday pay. Um, so when you add it all up and you take that 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 three pound cup of coffee uh, or tea, it's fifty. It might be ten fifteen p for the tea bag, ten fifteen p for the water. 30p for the salary, 50p for the table, uh, 25p for the rent. By the time you add it up and up and up and you explain that to the customer, you realize that they're only actually making about 10p off that £3 cup of tea. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the danger with that, Dan, sometimes is customers switch off. It's all no, 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 because yeah. I hear you going through through this, this justification for the price. And in a way, they don't want to know. Um, yeah. So, I mean, they do close their ears to it, in a way. So there, there are ways comes... of going around that to kind of mitigate them without actually going into the specific cost of breakdown. So, for example, in an agricultural world, you could say that and we don't use uh, pesticides, for example. We like to grow things organically. So by saying that, the customer will automatically know that that's more work, meaning more cost. Uh, so without yes. actually having to spell out the, the cost, you could put things into perspective that way by kind of advertising, demonstrating processes and the hard work that goes into it, and whether that be through your marketing, through the way that your premises is laid out or whatever it may be. So, so that's one key thing I would do is it's sell yourself, sell all the benefits that you do. If you, if you do a good job, if you give your employees a six week holiday a year um, and you get on a, and you receive awards for the way that you look after your staff, put that on your website. Um, do all of these sorts of things to really show um, how much work goes in and hard work. Everybody works that really, really hard, works uh, so hard, and um, so, so show that off. Indeed. You've explained that there are four types of customers. So when it comes to complaints, can you, can you break down the complainants into different types of the way they complain or what they want? You can, yes. So there's different ways. So, for example, looking at the restaurant industry again. So there's there's a scenario. I'll give this as, as an example that a, a family came and it was somebody's birthday. Um, there's about ten or twelve of them. It was big an occasion. Childminders had been paid for to look after the kids. It was it was a, quite a big deal for for them to come to this party. Um, one customer may say, "You absolutely ruined my day. I hate this company. I'm never coming back to this company again. I'm going to tell all my friends never to come back here." That's one type of complaint about the particular issue. Um, and we would look at that as a child, as in that not that they look like a child, but it's, it's the kind of the way that it's explained it would be child. And then you have parents. Toys out, toys out of the pran scenario. Exactly. That's, that's exactly the type of thing. And then, uh, then you've got the second one, which would be parent, which would be saying, I've come here. I'm not very happy about this at all. I want something back in return. You guys have been absolutely terrible, and I expect compensation. Um, and if you don't give me compensation now, I will be contacting head office, almost like I was telling your parents what a naughty boy you've been. And so there's the kind of parent way of dealing with that. And then you've got the adult, which is, okay, well, this has been very, very disappointing. We've had to pay for parking. We've spent £30 on a childminder this, this evening. This dinner's cost us £250. We expect at least £40 comped off this and a, and a free meal next time. So it's very, very rational and, and very straight to the point about the, the logic and the context of it. 
And the way of dealing with these customers is that you can't, you have to kind of mirror the, the way that they're, they're kind of going. If you act like a parent to a child, they will have a bigger tantrum. If you act like a child to an adult, they just won't take you seriously. So you have to kind of understand the way that the customer is complaining and then react in the adequate way to, to deal with us. So if you can hear that they're an adult type of complaint, say, okay, well, we can see that the meal costs 250 pounds. We're happy to comp um, half the, all, half the food and, uh, we can give you a round of drinks as well. Uh, would that be satisfactory? Or if, if it's a child, like you ruined my day, this is absolutely disastrous. I'm terrible. It's like, okay, well, uh, we're sorry about this. We agree. It wasn't very good. And those sort of people, you sometimes have to give them a bit of time to calm down and then say, well, what would you like? And that's rather than offering something, say, what would you like? What, what would you feel would be happy? How, what would make you happy? And when they give some suggestions or if they don't know any suggestions, then you can work with that. And again, the parent, um, you react in a very similar way uh, that, that, that they would. And so that, that's the kind of way of understanding and different customers react in different ways. Sometimes if they are, and like we said, some customers are very, very abusive. The customer isn't always right and they can be very rude. Uh, physically and verbally um sometimes you just got to understand and i've in the first part of my career 15 years ago my job was to deal with 50 complaints a day day in day out and be shouted at all day long by customers so you have to try and take take yourself out of it and and understand that they're not shouting at you personally they're shouting at the brand logo but you just happen to be wearing the brand logo so it's not dan pratt that they're shouting at it's whoever the company and let them have their time, let them shout and don't, and don't kind of try and butt in just, and then react in, in an adequate way and, and let them calm down. And then again, if, if it does get too, too aggressive, like anything in any, any part of society, which has actually happened in the past, uh, obviously you've got the services police or whoever to, to be able to call if it gets to that point. But in the meantime, then yeah, kind of let customers have their rant and then try and, uh, try and interject when you can and, uh, and just try and make it, make them feel special and, and that brings me on to a point which we can talk about later about goodwill gestures and the value of of them and how they shouldn't be looked as a negative thing but be looked as a promotional thing. And also, uh, Dan, uh, and we will come on to it uh, in a subsequent episode. Uh, we live in a different era now uh, than we did say twenty twenty five years ago, when if there was a complaint, it was written in green ink to uh, the managing director or whoever, or to the supplier or the manufacturer or the head office or whatever. And now. Uh, and so that would be very rarely seen by uh, anybody outside the immediate circle. But now, of course, it's out there for everybody to see. So, I mean, we will come on to that. But, but so retailers and businesses are under much greater pressure these days to try and uh, head that off, aren't they? Yeah, that's the thing. So review sites can work wonders. And, and so it's, it's a double-edged sword, basically. It really does significantly help your business. Um, the difference between a four-star rating and a five-star rating can be as much as 30% additional traffic. Uh, the SEO ratings of your website and product uh, will be significantly more visible to clients. Customers will generally make an informed choice based on high reviews. 90% of customers read at least three reviews before making a a purchase. So it is very valuable if you've got the good reviews there. It's a great tool to help encourage your business. But at the same time, if you get a negative review, um, so there's two ways of looking at it. So if it's a negative review and it's justified, then reach out to the customer, pick up the phone, speak to them, do all you can to resolve it. 
and then always follow up online publicly um, to give your side the story. So it could be, it was lovely speaking to you yesterday. I'm glad we've managed to resolve it for you. We cannot wait to have you back in our building or wherever it, whatever the business may be soon. Uh, if there is anything else in the meantime, please drop us a message. So there's that kind of thing. So we even once you followed up and it's done, the, the, like you said, the world won't know that phone call that you've had. So you still have to put that across. And vice versa on the other side as well, if it's a negative review, it's unjustified. So I've had it before when I used to work for a well-known pizza restaurant, um, which only sold pizzas. Um, and there was a, a one-star review saying that the roast dinner uh, was absolutely terrible. And uh, it was an Italian pizza restaurant and roast dinners. But there was, but there was a pub next door. So it was clearly the, the wrong location, but you can't get that removed because... So you have to just explain that in the review. And, and another one, the tire garage, they changed the tire on a car. Um, and then six months or a couple of months later, uh, the problem with the engine, completely unrelated. But again, uh, and that significantly impacted the business because as a small business, a family-run business, that one-star review brought their score down from 4.8 to 4.4, uh, which is which is a significant impact on, on their business. So uh, the way that we kind of worked around that was uh, by speaking to the customer. And then um, leaving your response saying that exactly as it is that we, we apologize or hear that, sorry to hear, don't take liability, but we apologize uh, or sorry to hear that you're feeling, you're feeling disappointed with this. Um, however, after investigation, uh, we can clearly see that the two, that the tire changing was not linked to the engine failure uh, because X, Y, Z. Um, so any sane person that would read this negative review would then instantly see the, the company's review and dismiss it. So that's that that's that's one good way of doing it. And then ultimately, when you speak to the customer as well, um, most customers do if they're okay and they're nice, they they will delete or remove the review afterwards. And the other thing you can do as well is on Trustpilot and TripAdvisor and these kind of sites, it's only the latest review from the customer that counts towards your score. So if after that phone call you, and it all goes well, you could say to the customer, "Oh, I'm pleased you're happy today. Would you mind giving a, another, giving us another review based on your experience today, based on this phone call?" And if the customer gives a five star review next, um, that's the one that counts towards your overall score. The one star previously is cancelled out, um, and then again, people can see that that when they click on this person, they can see that they had a bad experience, then they can see they had a good experience, and and it's all about transparency. Um, and if it is really, really not ideal not the case things with trustpilot as well if it's an organic review where it's not an invite from your business you can request more information from the customer and the customer then gets notified from trustpilot to provide that information if after three days they don't provide proof that they made a purchase from you uh, the review can get removed and you can appeal um, to have them removed as well so that's um, that's how I would say to deal with uh, negative reviews. And then on a lighter note, every single positive re- review, always say thank you for as well. It shows that you care about your customers, people reading the reviews, and it makes them feel special as well. Be thanked. So thank you, Dan. Isn't there some tremendous advice in there? In part two of Dan's episode, he will expand on some of the issues that face businesses today, particularly when faced with negative reviews on social media which may or may not be justified, and that's in a couple of weeks. In the next AgriTurf Academy episode, Paul Harris, founder of Agricultural Recruitment and People Management Specialists, Real Success Limited, will be looking at the careful and considered steps that should be taken by employers when recruiting new staff. And in a second part, he'll look at the art. Yeah, let's call it the art and science of retaining staff and indeed learning lessons of why 
staff may leave in the first place. So plenty of meaty stuff coming up. I'm Chris Biddle. Thank you for joining me. And these are episodes from the AgriTurf Academy.